We gotta get everybody out there in the foyer to come in here with us. If you take out a songbook and turn to 968, 968, hope everybody had a good day today. We had a good meal. <laughs> 968. Oh, they tell me of a home far beyond the skies. Oh, they tell me of a land far away. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a home where my friends have gone. Oh, they tell me of that land far away, where the tree of life in eternal bloom sheds its fragrance through the unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a king in his beauty there. And they tell me that my eyes shall be whole, where he sits on the throne that is wider than snow. In the city that is made of gold, oh, the land of cloudless day, oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise.
hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, come unto me.
folks here that didn't get a chance to take communion this morning. Okay. As part of our service every Lord's Day, you know, we take this communion service to remind us of the great price that was paid for our salvation. When you stop and you think what Jesus had to go through, both physically and mentally, it was quite a price, and it shows the great love that God had for us in order for, to, uh, for this to happen. So let's bow as we give our thanks for the bread. Almighty Father, we're thankful for that you loved us enough to pay for our sins through the death of your Son. We take of this bread as a reminder of the great anguish that his body went through in his death in our place. In his name we pray. Amen. anybody let's bow again almighty God we're so thankful that your son provided the blood the blood represents our salvation we pray that you'll accept our thanksgiving help us to live lives that show that we appreciate your love in Jesus name amen Nine hundred four. As we sing this song, uh, the young can make their way to their classes. We normally stand up, but I don't see the need to stand. Everybody knows where they're going. Oh, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed?
times today. <laughs> it's been a, a great day. Have you guys had a great day? Yes. Everyone excited? Everyone get a chance to meet my family and pick, a, pick our brains and say, you guys are strange. Maybe you should think about going somewhere else, not mess up our, our Bengals fandom here. I'm sorry, if I come here, I'm bringing my Chiefs. <laughs> not going to try to pick a fight. It's just a reality. Oh, I, we have certainly enjoyed our time here, and we're certainly grateful for all that you guys have done for us. You are wonderful people. I've talked to many of you, I've gotten to know you, I've gotten to hear some of your stories, and I have enjoyed every single moment of it. And I wish you, no matter what happens next, nothing but the best. It's gotta be hard. I know you had a preacher here for a very, very long time who suddenly passed away, and no one's gonna fill that role. Uh, but I certainly find someone, hope you find someone that will best work for you, whether that's me or my family or the next guy that comes along. Uh, I know God's going to make it happen. Uh, so best of luck and thank you for our time here. Let's go to him in prayer before we start. Most heavenly and gracious Father, the, as your children know that the future is bleak. We know that we cannot be certain about the day to day, but we know that you are eternal Lord. We know that you care for us. We know that you provide for us. And despite our own shortcomings, we know that you are going to help make us through it. And Lord, as we come together right now, we ask that you help keep our eyes on the future, focused on the good and godly things that you expect from us, and uh, keep us safe until we can meet again. Lord, open our hearts to this message that you have to teach us today. In your most heavenly name we pray. Amen. You know... Faith is a difficult journey. Does anybody not agree with that statement? Is there anybody out there who says, I've got this. This is so easy. I can do it. Anybody think, is, is there anybody that thinks that way? Nobody? Good. Because if you did, I want to know your secret. Because I certainly have not got it figured out at all. I wish that faith was a walk through the park. But more and more, I find that it is a stroll through the mountains. Not a stroll through the mountains, a hike through the mountains. And I do not like hiking. One of the very first things Jamie asked me when I came here is like, do you like to hike? Absolutely not. Sorry, Jamie. Where, where are you, Jamie? I don't, it's not going to happen. You, you can take the college kids, and I'll happily wave for my uh, Dodge Ram. But <laughs> Yeah, maybe we'll compromise. I'll, go, I'll walk the golf course with you. <laughs> but th that's not who I am. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what faith is. It's that difficult hike through the mountains. And for a long time, we know that the road is not going to be seen. We don't look at the end of the road. We don't look at the destination. We look towards Jesus. Because we know that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, no matter what happens, that in the end, we are going to be with him. So we struggle, often with each other. We all reach a point in our lives where we ask ourselves existential questions. You guys know what an existential question is? The deep questions. Who am I? What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? One of my 
favorite books to read is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And this is one of the main themes of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You guys know what the answer to the question is? Nobody's read the book? Oh, a little disappointing. No. Uh, it's silly. It's a silly book, and it wouldn't make any sense if you heard it anyway. But these are questions we ask ourselves, right? How many of you, when you were maybe 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, someone sat you down and say, oh, said, it's okay um, that you don't have to have an answer right now, but you need to start thinking about what you want to do with the rest of your life. Did that happen to you at some point? No? Good. <laughs> I think we do our youth a huge disservice by saying, by the, 18, by the time you're 18 years old, you need to figure out what your career path is. My mom says, I don't care if you choose the military, you choose college, or you choose trade school, but you're going to choose something. And at 39 years old, I can tell you that there are days that I don't have it figured out, that I still struggle with this question. And this is a huge thing for young people because people are trying to figure out in their lives what gives them purpose. And when they can't, uh, when they can't figure out an answer to that, they turn to things that absolutely do not matter. More and more people are turning to social connections and social media like Facebook and Twitter and Twitch and what else? I'm sure some of you can name them. I'm not a big fan of them. My son one day told me he wanted to be a YouTuber. <laughs> how many of you want your kids to how many of you want your kids to be a YouTuber? Make sit on their butt all day and make videos. Does anybody think that's a great career path for your children? And I said, no, 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 that's not gonna happen. You you can try again. Uh, but he likes to watch them. He goes and he finds people that uh, are some of them are doing great things, but most of them are not really contributing towards society. But kids today think that is a viable path for them. They look for things maybe with a little bit more meaning like achievement or expression or excitement. This morning I talked a lot about money. We all need money, right? But money shouldn't be our identity. In fact, our whole identity should be wrapped around the persona of love. Miriam Bosch, she is a uh, motivational speaker, uh, an evangelical motivational speaker. She says, for the believer, what really gives meaning to life, what makes it worth, uh, makes it an expression worth living is love. So they ask themselves the questions. They ask themselves, who am I? I ask myself that exact same question. And sometimes I have a good answer. Sometimes I have terrible answers. Maybe you are asking that question right now. Who is John Paul Suchecki? First off, yes, it is John Paul. I do not like to be called John. John is my father. He's not really a great guy, but, you know, I want to make sure I'm my own person. And so that's what I want to talk a little bit right now is who I am. They said I got to make this last a little bit longer. So if you have a question about me, this is what I want to know. What do you want to know about me? I can tell you I am an Army vet. I served one year in Iraq, eight years in the reserves, one year in Iraq. No, it was not good. It was terrible. I hated every minute of it. 
I have two college degrees. I have a degree from Ohio Valley University, which is a Bachelor's of Arts in uh, Biblical Studies. I was the very first person at the college to take seven years of Koine Greek. Do you know how much I read my Greek Bible now? Almost never. <laughs> Good seven, not seven years, seven semesters. That's a big difference. <laughs> that, that's three and a half years. I was the very first person to take seven semesters of Greek. Uh, I've studied Hebrew, biblical Hebrew. I've studied Chinese. I even studied a little bit of Polish, uh, Polish Russian in high school. I'm a husband to the most wonderful woman. She's so amazing. And guys, you probably think your wives are great. I'm sorry. She, they are not Rachel Suchecki. God said, when God said to me, I want you to look in this direction, it was, I think I'm like, no, no thanks. You know, I actually dumped her at one point. <laughs> not, a, not a very great moment in my life. But I, turned, I learned later that she was going to break up with me. Uh, so, yeah, we dated for a little bit, and it didn't work out, and then we became really good friends. And then we formed a union. And now I realize that there are a lot of great women in the world. She is the one God gave to me, and I wouldn't be the man I am today if it's not for Rachel Suchecki, Rachel Leanne Smith Suchecki. I am a dad to two rambunctious boys, and we've asked them to do quite a bit these last few months as we looked at new places for us to possibly move. And they are complete opposites of one another. One's very athletic, one's content to play video games all day. And ironically, the athletic one wants to be the YouTuber. Uh, I'm a writer. I wrote a book last year. In fact, I wrote two books last year. What do you guys want to know about me? If you only had one question to ask me to be possibly the next minister here at the Sunshine Church of Christ, what would you ask me? No questions. You're like, we already know what we think about you. <laughs> yes, go ahead. All the same? Well, I wouldn't want all the same. No, but. Family relationships. The church thrives in the family. And a lot and I, that's one of the things I like about this family is you guys everything I've heard about it is everyone's really connected. Uh, especially the, the generational families here. But the, historically the church has always done well with building that close personal relationship. Uh, and so that's the one thing I could say that I would want to bring here and make sure that that's the thing that we work on more than anything. It wouldn't be discipleship. Discipleship is everybody's job, not just my job. It would be making the families connect with one another. If that's the one thing I could do, that would be the one thing. Anyone else? That's a good question. I like that. Yes? My faith journey, in three words. Um, oh, that is a hard question. Uh, patience, uh, struggle, and 
I'm going to use spousal support. That's a hyphenated word. <laughs> yeah, faith, right? I know. I just know I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for my wife. She makes me a good godly man. Anything else? Nothing? What you write your books about? Oh, they're fiction books. It's a fantasy series based on a young, uh, well, I say woman, but she's not really a woman. She's a fictional type creature uh, and her trying to protect her hometown. It's very, I think it's very interesting, but my wife doesn't like it. <laughs> Which, she had to stop reading it because we were having disagreements about it. <laughs> Anything else? You guys can always, if you don't want to ask me, you can always send me an email or you can flag me down after church. I'm completely an open book. There's no aspect of my life, uh, well, okay, there's 99% of my life I would be willing to tell you because it does not bother me. Uh, but do you know, uh, there's a problem with all of these. Uh, is not that they're not bad. All of these are good things. I, I love board games. Anybody love board games? Yes? Okay. Yeah, I love playing board games. And I, could, and I could teach you some of my favorite ones, and I would love to learn yours. I could do this all day. Uh, but the problem with all of these is none of these are who am I. None of these answer that question. At best, they are just a label. So I really want to tell you, because I'm sure maybe you want to know who I am, because this is extremely important. Okay? You guys ready for it? All right? I even got a great meme for it. I am no one of consequence. Absolutely. No one of consequence. I'm not going to be the next Alexander Campbell or Barton Stone. I'm not going to be the next Barack Obama or Ronald Reagan. I'm not going to be the next Steve Jobs. Maybe my kids will. No one in my family is. Uh, I am just a person trying to do what I see is best for me and my family. And for 39 years, or for most of my life, this question really bothered me because I wanted to be someone important. In fact, I felt a lot like Inigo Montoya. You guys seen The Princess Bride? I felt a lot like Inigo Montoya when figuring out who I am, where I'd say, I need to know who I am. And then the other part of me saying, get used to disappointment. But after a while, it occurred to me that this does not bother me anymore. Because while I know I am no one a consequence, I know someone much better. In fact, it's the whole reason I'm here, and it's not my wife. It's even better than my wife. I know someone that I first learned about when I was 14 years old. When I was 14 years old, my best friend came to me. He said, hey, my church is going to play ultimate Frisbee, and then we're going to have a Bible study. You want to come do that? And I'm like, well, I don't know about that Bible study. And when I was 14, I was a lot more athletic than I am now. So I thought, okay, I'll go and, I'll go and do that. And uh, it didn't really sound great, but he was my best friend, and I would have done quite a bit for that man. And I still would because we still communicate to this day. And so I went 
and I had fun. I met people I never knew before. Some of them went to my school, some of them went to other schools in the city where I lived. And then we read John chapter one. And I read these words, in the beginning there was the word. The word was with God, the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. And that confused me. It made absolutely no sense. Because I understand what a word is. I understand that a word is sounds and syllables. You're a teacher right here. You probably describe words. Right, you're a teacher? Yeah. You probably describe words every day. And so if someone came up to you and said, uh, this man was a word, that probably would not compute to you because it doesn't logically make sense. And so immediately, the very first thing I read made me want to close the book. But I kept reading, and I learned that he was in the beginning with God. All things were made from him. Okay, so he's a deity. Uh, that makes a little bit more sense if I believed in something like that. I thought the whole thing was folly. But something inside of me said, I needed to know more. I needed to know who this man was. And for three years, I went back to that church until one day we had a, we played Bible trivia. And in this class, there was my best friend. His dad was a, a chaplain. Um, and then there was the minister's son in the class. And there was a bunch of other people who had gone to church their whole lives. And we played this Bible trivia game, and I beat every single one of them. And the youth minister turns to me and says, why don't you believe? And I needed to know in that moment why I didn't. And then it was truly then that I started to discover who this man was. For thousands of years, people have been asking the question, who is he? In fact, even he asked the question. In Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus turns to his disciples in the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who would you say that Jesus is? They certainly had an answer for him. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But it's interesting to see how people have come upon this question from the beginning in the Gospels. To Mary, his mother, he would be a person that would pierce her soul. Seems very detrimental, right? If someone came up to you and said your kid was going to pierce your soul, that means they're going to cause you harm and suffering. Maybe they're going to be in, char uh, in trouble with the law, or they're going to do drugs, or they're going to do something that will disappoint you one day. Maybe you won't tell them that, but <coughs> it sounds very negative. But that's not what was revealed to Mary. What was revealed to Mary, that a sword would pierce through her own soul also, that through that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It wasn't telling him it was going to cause you trouble. It's telling him that it was going to cause you pain. Because in your pain, the world would be redeemed. People would really know in that moment who men are. To Herod, Herod thought he was everything the disciples said. The disciples said, he is John the Baptist. He is Elijah. Maybe he's one of the prophets of old. 
And Herod certainly believed that because in the Gospel of Luke, these are the things that it said. But I think for Herod, it was especially scary that Jesus was John the Baptist. Because what did Herod do to John the Baptist? He killed him. That's, that's got to be a scary moment for someone like Herod. That if the man you killed suddenly came back to death, uh, back the life from the dead, what would that man probably want to do? Maybe get a little revenge? Don't know. I can't honestly tell you how Herod felt in that moment. But I do know that scripture says he sought to know the answer to this question. And he would learn. He would get his chance. And maybe he would never change. But he still sought the answer to the question, who am I? To the religious leaders, he was Beelzebub. Well, that's not true. I mean, that's what scripture says. And I'm not saying this to discount scripture. But I know that the religious leaders are saying this as a way to stop the popularity of Jesus because they were afraid of what he was doing. So they, he was upsetting their orthodoxy. He was taking away their power. So they lied about him. That scripture is quite clear that they lied about him a lot. And they said, he is Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he cast out demons. But that didn't make sense. In fact, that's a logical fallacy. Jesus quickly shuts that down by saying, no house divided against itself can stand. You want to know who he is? All you have to do is ask. To the crowds, he was a great socialist. He was the man who gave them the free stuff, free food. And he could make it appear out of nowhere. Free health care. He could do things that doctors today could only dream of doing. In fact, he did something that no one else before had ever done. Nowhere in the Old Testament is it ever mentioned. In fact, it is specifically said to be a gift given to the Christ himself. He healed the blind. But where were they when it finally mattered? When ten were healed in one day, only one sought to know more. And Jesus said, we're not, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Woe to them, but a blessing to the one who sought to know the answer to the question. To the Jews, he was a stumbling block. To the Gentiles and the 14-year-old boy 25 years ago, he was folly. But to another man, to a man who thought he knew who he was, to a man who was very sure and confident in himself and his mandate, that he would take the letters given to him by the religious leaders and he would persecute the church until this son of man struck him blind on the road to Damascus and asked the question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what was his response? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And in that moment, Saul, who would later become Paul, would know what it means to be persecuted on behalf 
of asking the question, who are you? To the demons, the demons knew exactly who he was. The demons knew exactly who he was and why he came there, and he forbid them to speak. To God, he knew exactly who he was, and he was well-pleased. But I want to tell you something, Sunshine Church of Christ, that you do not need to go to demons. You do not need to go to Paul. You do not need to go to Herod or the religious leaders or Mary to find out the... You don't even have to go to me. You can go to your elders. I'm sure they'll help. They're wonderful people. But you don't have to do that if you are struggling to know the answer to this question. Because you have the primary source. When I was in grad school, I learned, always go to the primary source. Even if it's in German, go to that one. Don't go to the translation. You learn to translate it yourself. And Jesus has been telling us for 2,000 years who he is. And I love the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John makes it so simple. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the only true substance in the world where temporary food and drink will make you hunger, will make you thirst again. But if you seek his will, if you seek his ways, if you seek the answer to the question, you will always be filled with righteousness. Jesus is the light of the world, a beacon in the world of darkness that exposes the hearts of men so that the truth may be revealed. And in that truth, some may turn to him. He is the gate or the door, depending on your translation, the only true way into heaven. And though some might seek a different way, it's impossible. You want to know why? That a robber and a thief will never be able to get into heaven, the ones that seek an alternative way, is because you cannot find what does not exist. Jesus is the good shepherd, the greatest good you are ever going to get. And as much as I told you how awesome my wife is for me, she is nothing compared to Jesus, who watches over me, who provides for me, who is going to make sure that I receive grace as long as I seek his will. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light, the reason we are here, the reason we are free. He is the true vine, the creator and stainer of all things. But most importantly, he is the resurrection of life. When Lazarus dies, not the Lazarus I was talking to, Mary and Martha's Lazarus, different Lazarus, uh, Jesus goes to comfort those in mourning. And one of the sisters turns to him when Jesus says, you will see him again. He says, I know we'll see him again in the resurrection. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die because to the great I am, death and time are not obstacles to him. This world we live in now is just a shadow of the good things to come because of who he is. After Jesus asked this question, 
He turns to his disciples and he asks another question. He goes, okay, that's who people say that I am. Who do you say that I am? And I imagine that the disciples probably turned and looked at each other, probably not wanting to be the first one to answer. Uh, and finally, Simon Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ. That simple statement is so powerful that it stretches across aeons. 2,000, not 2,000, uh, roughly 100, 1,200 years before, Moses stood on the mountain and he said, who shall I say sent me? When God told him to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, God says, say to them, I am who I am. I exist. I always am, always was, always will be. But it's one thing to know the answer to that question. It's a very important thing to know, yes. But just knowing the answer doesn't really help you very much. Because like I said, the demons know the answer to that question. They know it absolutely. Is that going to save them? No. Because when the Bible says you to know something, it means to have a relationship. You guys ever read that part in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul says the great mystery of the church ties back to that verse in Genesis chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, I think? Uh, he says a uh, uh, husband or will leave his mother and father and join fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I am saying this as it relates to the church. You know your wife. You don't know about your wife. You probably do that too. But you have a relationship. It's one thing to know his divinity, and it's another thing to know his love. And when you know him, he knows you. It's a great feeling. Certainly no one of consequence, but this person, this earthly vessel that is made of, of dirt, a jar of dirt is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, has inside of it the greatest treasure to ever exist in all of creation. Inside of it is a piece of God himself. And because of that, I am someone of importance. Because I have God that lives inside of me. Not because of John Paul Suchecki, but because the great I am. Doesn't ask a lot of me. In fact, he does all the heavy lifting. He says, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to provide grace. I'm going to provide mercy. All I require is faith. And if you can, be better. In fact, try to be better. Show that you love me by trying to be better. Go to the people of the world. You owe them something because of what I do for you. You owe them encouragement. You owe them edification. You owe them respect. The greatest rule in all of the Bible to treat other people as they want to be treated. And you owe them love. One of the last things that Jesus said to him was, I'm uh, to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled 
the whole law. You don't have to be perfect. But in this love, you are doing what God is asked of you. Who do you say that he is? Is he a man? Is he a myth? Is he a legend? Is he folly? Is he a stumbling block? Or is he the living Savior that lives inside of your lives? And if you know who he is, if you have learned about him and what the Bible says is different than the things that you know, what you believe to be true, what are you going to do about it? What is the more clear picture? What you believe or what scripture has taught us? And once you know the truth, what are you going to do? You're going to turn yourself over to him? Well, now's a good time. I even gave you a few extra minutes because it's uh, 6.52. No, well, that clock's not right. It's uh, yeah, 6.52, not 5.52. And this is a great time to start as any. So if you guys like to respond to this message in any way, feel free to come forward as we're led in song, if that's the thing I'm supposed to do at this time. <laughs> I don't know if you, uh, you typically get an invitation, but yes, we're a wonderful, uh, wonderful opportunity to respond. Go ahead. Um, 63. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my step by step, but um, I, I need to say thank you for all of us, both John, Paul, and uh, Rachel. We've, it's been great uh, to be with you all. Um, I, I just enjoy sitting here. I mean, you know, I, I have every say in nothing, so, but, um, but uh, it's been a blessing just to hang out, listen to you, listen to God and you. I have no issue at all sensing the presence of God. I wouldn't judge that anyway, but I just, uh, it's just a, been a wonderful day for us. Thanks for being here. And we pray God will do his wonderful work. But, yeah, so thanks for that. And, yeah, that's, that's, that's genuine. Over all the earth you reign on high. Every mountain stream, every sunset sky. But my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign. 
Turn to 123. 123. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Two hundred fifty one. Two fifty one. Two fifty one. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. Um... 
Let's do 238. 238. And we're still singing. <laughs> 238. You are the words and the music. You are the song that I sing. You are the melody. the song that I sing, oh, you are the words and the music, you are the song that I sing, you are the melody and you are the harmony, praise to your name I will bring, you are the Lord of lords, you are the mighty God, you are the King of all kings, so now I give back you the song that you gave to me, you are the song that I sing. 